Hello, dear ones, and welcome to Subtle Medicine Radio, brought to you by InnerSpark. This is the resource for all things holistic healing, natural living, conscious relating, epic life changing, and spirituality, all steeped in earth-based wisdom. I'm your host, Devin, and with me, as always, is my co-host and producer, Mike. That's me. On today's show, episode 21, we're discussing all things shadow work. I'll break down this trendy topic and discuss its relevance for all of us and how it ultimately brightens our light. Let's dive in. All right. All right. So shadow work is not new. I'm just going to start off by saying that. And it's become rather trendy, I've noticed, in the last like eh, maybe a year 18 months it's kind of like the thing that everyone's talking about and I'm a shadow work coach and shadow work this and shadow work that and I just wanted to take this opportunity to really kind of break it down and simplify it and talk about what it is so this kind of serves as an introductory and overview into this really important topic and something that is near and dear to my heart and a huge part of my work both with myself personally in my own journey and also with my people, my clients. So I wanted to start with that and let's get into kind of defining shadow work and we'll take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. I define shadow work as a process which allows us to access deep joy, purpose, and healing through our challenges and wounds. All right. One more time. So it is the process which allows us to access deep joy, purpose, and healing through our challenges and wounds, through our challenges and wounds, not bypassing them, not like waving a magic wand and hoping they go away, using them to find this deep joy, purpose, and healing. Shadow work enables us to identify and uncover the roots of our shame to transmute it into medicine. Shadow work should be a process of integrating parts of ourselves that we've disowned, shunned, or bypassed. It's about reclaiming and empowering ourselves through our trials and traumas. Healing with shadow work is a multi-level phenomenon that touches on every aspect of our life. Something only becomes a shadow when we have deemed it unworthy of being seen and we hide it away. It is an attempt to disintegrate ourselves and reveal and embody only what we perceive as desirable. And the truth is this is an impossible task as we don't get to pick and choose what's desirable and what's not. Every part of ourselves is interdependent and not separate. So this attempt to eclipse certain parts creates everything from anger and jealousy to addiction and poor relationships with food, all of these these diseases that we experience. Emotions such as anger, anxiety, depression, fear, and jealousy emerge as repressed parts of the self feel threatened. These emotions are how the shadowed parts of ourselves communicate. And rather than stopping at, I am feeling jealous, shadow work helps to identify the root of the jealousy to find its real need. These things are really just symptoms, right? Jealousy, anger, addictions, like we talked about in last episode. These things are just symptoms. And so through shadow work, we get to get to the root cause of why this symptom is showing up in the first place. And we get to identify the real need from there. You know, I was going to ask you which of those emotions show up the most in your work. You know, you said uh, anger, anxiety, depression. Um, which ones show up most either with yourself in your own work or with your clients? But then as I was listening, I thought about my own practice and I'm like, well, hell, which one of those doesn't show up? You know, they I deal with all of those uh, pretty much on a daily basis, really. 
And it can be very, um, I guess, scary, especially anger and depression. For me, I think those are the hardest for me to work with because those are the things that might act as like a, a gateway to hurting myself or somebody else. You know, things can go sideways really fast. And a full disclosure to the listening audience, there was a time in my life when I was, uh, I won't say suicidal because I never made an attempt, but I was putting a lot of thought and planning into taking my own life. And I was, it, it was a really, uh, really dark chapter. And the fact that I know that I have that potential prevents me, I think, from digging into my shadows sometimes because let's say I'm dealing with anger and there's nobody else in the room and I explore my anger and my anger is expressed in whatever way, however that looks. And because there's nobody else in the room, well, then it's safe, right? I'm not going to hurt anybody. But with depression, the other person is yourself. So I guess if I were to pull any single, you know, coherent question from this, it's if I feel afraid to get started in shadow work because I'm afraid of myself, then how do I protect myself from myself? Mm, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and asking that very tender question. And I can definitely relate to your story and the fear in that question of how do I protect myself from myself? And in my experience, I'd say being clear and sober and stable are the prerequisites before beginning this work on a deeper level. And really, this it exists on a spectrum. So, so many of us are so disconnected. We've been traumatized. We've been through a lot of shit in our lives and in the lives before this one, right? Not, not saying, you know, past lives, maybe if that's, if you believe in that, yes, past lives, but also of the lives of those that you're made of. So that physiology has been altered. So we're carrying ancestral lines of trauma and our own trauma. So we're, we're deeply traumatized people and it can be disconnecting, right? And so this, this shadow work exists on a spectrum. So many of us are over here where we know we might feel, or no, hold on a second, I'm getting ahead of myself. Many of us are over here where we don't even really fully understand that we are feeling yucky. It's so normal to us that we don't understand or know that there is a problem and that we're not meant to live in this state of dis-ease and yuckiness and, and discomfort. So then from there we, we graduate on to, hey, I feel yucky and uncomfortable. And I'm able to identify and name this. And then maybe further along the spectrum, it's like, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling depressed. I am feeling rageful, whatever these, these feelings are. And then further along there and, and everything in between, there's, there's, there's this gentle uh, progression where we deepen the relationship with ourself. And it is a really beautiful thing. And we're able to go from really just normalizing the yuckiness to working with it very masterfully and very gracefully. So we go from not even knowing it's there to being able to name it, to being able to separate ourselves from it, to recognize that the feeling is a temporary state. It is a physiological response in the body as a result of the story that we're carrying around because of the trauma, because of the disconnection. And then from there, able to really work with it and befriend it. So this is a whole spectrum, it's a whole process that we, we walk along. It's like a bridge, right? A bridge to reconnect ourself with ourself, our capital S self, our higher self. And as with all things, right? So I said in my experience, 
being clear and sober and stable are kind of the the prerequisites to getting to that point and, and beginning to walk that bridge and rebuild that bridge. And as with all things, more and better and faster isn't the answer, right? That's like our, our society and culture's answer to things. It's just like more, better, faster. Okay, that's not the answer here. And really that's like not the answer with anything. This isn't a time to just rip the band-aid or wax strip off, you know? This is a time for gentleness and slowness and the utmost compassion. So I said being sober, meaning without those activities or substances that are mind-numbing. Being stable, meaning strengthening the nervous system. Those two are crucial components of any kind of work like this. Being unclear and still in our addictive mind-numbing ways. And like I said, listen to our last episode for more on this. So being in those addictive mind-numbing ways blinds us from truth and is also harmful to the nervous system. Having a stable nervous system, which is achieved through breath and movement and daily routines and rhythms and laughter and pleasure and good company, is also key. Diving into the shadows can be scary, and if either of those components are missing, it'll feel scarier than it needs to. When we stop repressing these emotions, we are able to use shadow work to heal our anger, anxiety, depression, fear, and jealousy, and all these other things that are showing up, and the result is a much more integrated being and a richer, more deeper experience of ourselves and of life. You mentioned using shadow work to heal our suffering. And there's uh, a friend of mine, a Catholic guy that I've mentioned before in our podcast, with whom I have had some very uh, enjoyable and memorable debates about religion and philosophy. And he pointed out something that really resonates, at least uh, as I'm hearing it, with what you're saying. He said that you know, about 2,000 years ago, the religious idea in that part of the world was all about purification. You know, don't touch a leper because they're unclean, and don't eat pork because it's unclean, and don't let women in the camp during menstruation because they're unclean, and you got to keep yourself pure and clean, and that was the whole goal, um, to keep the light safe by protecting it from the dark. And then this guy Jesus comes along, and what does he do? He goes out and has this entirely reverse approach to things, where he's going out and engaging with people that would otherwise have been considered outcasts, and he didn't protect his light by keeping it separate from the darkness, he allowed his light to grow in the world by embracing the darkness. And so I'm not a Christian, despite my Catholic friend's best efforts, but I can certainly take inspiration and a message from any story. And what I get here, and in what you're saying, is like a fearlessness uh, of using that darkness, or at least acknowledging the fear and deciding not to be held back by it. Yes, just to reiterate, this is not a religious show. And while I personally am highly, highly spiritual, I do not adhere to any one religion. But like Mike, I totally dig all different viewpoints and, and taking inspiration and lessons from everywhere. So thank you very much for, for sharing this awesome analogy. And yeah, fearlessness. So we'll never be without fear, but we can allow it to not have power over us, which happens when we resist it. Because anything that we resist or try to push past or make pretty or whatever is just going to amplify and then take on a life of its own. So by being like, hey, fear, you're here. What's good? Let's sit down and have a cup of tea. You're surrendering to what is and you're bringing awareness, light to what was once a shadow. Shadows are only shadows because we are like, you know, leaving them behind and in the dark and don't want to look at it because it's not pretty or it's whatever the case is. So that's kind of just 
a little bit about shadow work in a nutshell, a pecan shell, because it's that time of year. <laughs> there was a few things I wanted to touch on, specifically shadow work with the inner child and shadow work in relationships and shadow work with light workers. So with the inner child, a neat thing that I really don't hear anyone discussing is how shadow work is inner child work. The inner child is the most innocent, bare part of ourselves, and it's ruled by intuitive instinct and pleasure and not wounds. The child within has clarity and openness and honesty and isn't harsh or judgmental of the self and really welcomes all. It's very open. And then life in a human body is rough and the inner child doesn't feel safe and then they retreat, which is very unfortunate because they know our joy and passions and without them we're, we're pretty freaking lost. Addressing and being with the parts of ourselves that we fear and dislike and are ashamed of leads us back to that inner child who has a deeper connection with the self without the armors. Now I'm picturing this like a polarity, like on one end you have shame and fear and on the other end you have the inner child. So like a move towards one is inherently a move away from the other. Right, yes. And of course, some shame is good. And we have this entire spectrum that exists between the polarities that you mentioned in which to play. So there's this whole range of possibilities. It's, it's not binary. And as far as relationships go, a quick way to understand where your shadows live is to look at your relationship triggers. This is a way that we can use others as mirrors for our growth because ultimately a kick-ass relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or a coworker, or a parent or a child, the hallmark of a good relationship is when a person gifts you the ability to have a richer experience of yourself. And the best people for that are the people that trigger you in a challenging way, not the people that like make you feel all fluffy all the time and co-sign your bullshit. So a quick way to understand where these shadows live is to look at your relationship triggers. When and how are you triggered by others? We all have those couple little things or that person that really just rubs us the wrong way. Use that as, as a tool, as a resource to just get really curious. And like I said, this doesn't have to be in romantic partnership. It's literally every single person is our mirror. Every single person is a teacher. Every single person is holding a mirror up to us and can serve as as a teacher and a tool. So really look at those triggers. And then lastly, shadow work and light workers. So we've talked a lot about light workers on this show. And shadow work is often the catalyst for empaths and light workers and sensitives and intuitives and all the other terms and labels. And however you may identify or or whatever resonates with you. Shadow work is often the catalyst for this this group of people to really realize their gift. Shadow work and the dark night of the soul go together in the sense that they reveal to us what our egos don't necessarily want us to see because in doing so, its grip on our lives is threatened. The ego might just have to die, right? The ego's story might just have to die as, as the truth reveals itself and the veil of this illusion of the person that we think we are is lifted. Similarly, when in business as entrepreneurs, soulpreneurs, lightworkers, we are shown our shadows. Shadow work in business, just as shadow work in relationships, strengthens our leadership abilities and increases our ability to really be of service. And again, this doesn't have to be, you know, if you're like, well, I'm not a soulpreneur, I'm not a light worker, I'm not an entrepreneur, I don't necessarily identify as an intuitive or an empath or any of these other things. That doesn't matter. All of us are incredibly subtle, sensitive beings. And the more that we deepen into our relationship with ourselves and not have these things rule us, 
we are being the change that we truly want to see in the world and are being a lighthouse for others. And we get to show up more powerfully in whatever role, whatever role, mother, father, um, whatever, <laughs> like all of the, the different roles that you could possibly play, you show up super powerfully and authentically. And something else I get asked or have seen people discuss is, is shadow work dangerous? Um, it's not dangerous, it's not evil, it's not scary. It's only dangerous if you feel living a fully integrated life is dangerous, then sure, it's dangerous. The truth is, it can feel scary. It really can. It can feel so scary to challenge deeply held beliefs and views of ourselves. It can feel dangerous to dive into uncharted territory. And shadow work is scary if you go about it too quickly, like I talked about, and without compassion and with the belief that you need fixing. Because then you're working from a place of self-punishment, which is dangerous. There's no compassion and there's no love and there's this belief that you're just wrong and you need fixing. None of us needs fixing. There's not a damn thing wrong with any of us. What we need is to peel away the layers that allow us to believe that there is something wrong with us. That's the only thing that's needed because the truth of who you are is power and divine and grace and creation embodied in this beautiful, beautiful being. All the other stuff is just an illusion. So shadow work kind of takes you in to see that it's an illusion and to liberate yourself. So you don't need fixing. Many of us fear the dark, even though there's nothing in the dark that isn't there in the light. And when we go into the dark, it's no longer dark. It's known. All right, so you're probably like, Devin, this is fucking awesome. What are some techniques that I can use and some tools? How do I get started? I'm going to tell you. All right, I'm going to tell you right now. There are many tips, tools, and techniques for engaging in shadow work. And as with everything else, one size doesn't fit all. So it's a good thing that there are lots of options, right? Because there's lots of different people and different things will resonate. My shadow work involves the use of a lot of earth-based wisdom, esoteric, energy-based, or divination tools in conjunction with sound coaching and mindset techniques. So blending the unseen and the subtle with the tangible and the 3D. If we're constantly in a state of hyperactivity and engaging in behaviors that hide parts of ourselves from ourselves, we won't know what's right beneath the surface. And so these tools help us to achieve what I mentioned earlier, kind of those prerequisites of being stable and being clear and sober. And so sober, again, check out the last episode, not just in the sense of like, oh, I'm not drinking or I'm not doing drugs. No, sober, like weaning ourselves away from these tools that we use that numb us and help us to keep bypassing. So some examples of beautiful tools that I've had great success with are flower essences and plant spirit medicine. And we've got a show about that. I believe that's episode two. Shamanic journeying and shamanic healing resources. Vedic astrology, which differs from Western or uh, tropical astrology. And I'm not an astrologer. I, I use these um, not as deeply as some of these other tools, but they are incredibly powerful, Vedic astrology. Crystals and tarot are some of my favorite. And these help us to access deeper states of consciousness or the subconscious where our shadows live. So it helps us to kind of get out of the mind and out of that, that state of hyperactivity and out of that state of habitual doing and bypassing. A lot of embodiment work is also key. Um, these stories and these emotions live in our body. And so the way that we habitually hold ourselves, the way that we habitually walk, breathe, move, all keep this this current status quo that we have created for ourselves where we're not looking beneath the surface going. It keeps it alive. 
So by just breaking some of these little things or bringing, bringing presence first and foremost to the way that we're holding ourselves and to the way that these, these things are playing out in the body and then shifting them. So embodiment resources are something I use and, and are just phenomenal as well as expressive arts therapy. Shadow work with kundalini yoga can also help us to access these deeper states. Kundalini yoga has been like up there with some of the most life-changing resources in my experience. And lucid dreaming and dream analysis are also helpful. They help us to understand the subconscious more fully, and I often advise clients to keep dream journals and track themes and messages, especially when the work and the efforts in the waking life are beginning to increase and that invitation is there to the subconscious of like, hey, I want to work with you. I want to get to know you more intimately. You will get a response. So you know I love journaling and self-inquiry, right? So I wanted to leave you with some of these questions that you can begin to journal with and sit with to get into this shadow work journey, which is ongoing and so rewarding and so beautiful. All right. Which parts of myself do I deem undesirable, inappropriate, or shameful? What parts of yourself do you deem undesirable, inappropriate, or shameful? How long have you had these beliefs about yourself? Do you remember when you first started to have this belief? How long has has it been there? Or they? How long have they been there? Where do you feel this story, this belief in your physical body? So when you tune into it, where does it show up in your physical body? And then sitting with that body part, does it have a message for you? So allowing that body part to speak to you. So using an example from my own past, um, a part of myself that I deemed inappropriate was my body in general. Especially younger, I was very, very overweight and very disconnected from my body. And so it was especially my thighs and hips. So this is an example I'm using of a physical body part. You can also use something, an emotion that you deem undesirable or inappropriate or shameful. So maybe it's anger. That, that's an example I would use. Um, so my anger is shameful and undesirable or my thighs. And how long have I had this belief about myself? I would have said, because I no longer feel this way today, but I would have said probably since I was eight or nine, right? The first time I was fat shamed. And where do I feel this in my body? In my stomach, my lower gut. And then sitting with that lower gut for a while in meditation, breathing, maybe placing hands on this body part if it's accessible to you, and then asking if it has a message for you. So beautiful process. You can take that and you can repeat it and use it over and over and over again as as new things show up. Embarking on a journey of healing and identifying our shadows using shadow work is exciting and so transformational. I've seen clients find improvements in chronic diseases through shadow work. I've seen people birth businesses, transmute limiting beliefs, save relationships worth saving, and walk away from ones that weren't. I've witnessed life-changing aha moments as veils of shame were lifted. And personally, I've gone from alcoholism, obesity, chain-smoking, resentful childhood wounds, amenorrhea, PCOS, and other hormonal challenges, and more, to feeling truly fulfilled and radiant and awakened to my own sovereignty and stable enough to continue, so to keep going. Because we're not done. It's not like, oh, I got here and I'm done. I'm so perfect. Yay. That's not the point. That's kind of impossible and a dangerous goal because it's not possible. Life is always flowing and we're always moving and evolving and growing and changing. So it's about accepting that and and just dancing, loving all of it enough to keep dancing with it, keep dancing with whatever shows up. So I'm curious now, in closing, how do you feel about shadow work? 
Have you been able to use the most challenging and painful parts of your life as gifts? Please reach out and tell me about it or ask any questions in my Facebook group, Transmuting to Nourish, Awaken, and Thrive. The link is also on my homepage at innerspark.life. And there's also a fabulous blog post on shadow work on the website at innerspark.life backslash blog. Before you sign off, I need to make a little um, public service announcement, I guess. If you are somebody who's hearing this and understands what I'm saying about being afraid to look at your own shadows, especially around something like depression, then just know that you are not alone. Of course, Devin and I are both supporters of finding your own solutions and knowing what's best for you. And if you feel like you're on the edge, then don't be afraid to seek professional help. There are a lot of lessons that I learned when I went down that road, and if I can share anything with you, it's these two things. One, the consequences of doing something stupid are a lot worse than the consequences of getting help. I was an electronics technician in the Navy. I could have lost my clearance for top secret work. Um, so I know what it's like to feel that you can't afford to get help. But if you think about what could happen otherwise, you might see that you can't afford not to. So that's the first thing, is to acknowledge that the cost of not getting help outweighs the cost of getting it. And second is that we all have dark days, some more than others. We all get angry, we all get sad, and some of us feel like we have more sad days than not. And I can't say whether that's right or wrong, maybe you're just a healthy, normal person who's experiencing a lot of really sad circumstances. I don't know. But what I do know is that the difference between being sad and being suicidal is this. It's planning. This follows the cognitive behavioral model where essentially our thoughts lead to our actions. And I know I'm using some fancy words here, but I am not a doctor. I'm just a guy who's gone to a lot of therapy myself. So we can all have these feelings like I feel sad and we have a fantasy like I don't I want the sadness to end. I don't want the thoughts, I don't want the memories, I don't want the shame. And maybe for you, that is where the shadow work can begin. And that's where you can look at your feelings and maybe work with someone like Devin, who's not a doctor and is not going to make a diagnosis, but is just going to help you to work with what you've got. And if you can act at that point and break the cycle, then that's wonderful and I hope that you can. But if you don't figure it out at that point, then the next step is going from a fantasy to a plan. And that is something specific. Like, I'm going to swerve my car into an oncoming semi-truck and hope I don't survive. Or I'm going to take these pills or cut this artery. And I'm sorry to be graphic here, but my point is that plans are easy to separate from fantasies because they are specific. They have steps and they're very easy to identify as the big red flag that you need to get help. Like I said, we all have bad days, and maybe you can use this as a checklist for getting help. Is to first acknowledge that getting help is usually better than not getting help. Alright, let me just say that again. Getting help is better than not getting help. And second, honestly ask yourself if you have a plan for doing something stupid. I think that if people observe these two rules, we'd probably live in a much happier and healthier world. You know, it's like suicides and public shootings are becoming so normal now, and I wonder where those people would be if they had known about those two lessons. 
I'll get off my soapbox now, but I just felt like I needed to share my two little rules, especially about making plans. And if you find yourself at that stage, then please talk to somebody and don't be afraid of the consequences of reaching out. I wish I could say that there won't be any uh, consequences to getting professional help, that you would not be stigmatized or that people would not shame you. But the truth is that the world does not know how to handle people like us who have these really dark, these things that feel overwhelming, that we don't feel like we can handle on our own. Um, so I can't say that there will not be any seemingly negative consequences to getting help, but I can tell you from my experience that the consequences of not getting help can be far worse. And if you think that I'm ending this on a downer, I'm not because I think that somebody out there is going to hear this and understand that it's not a downer, but it's really a message of hope. And that's what I'm all about. You know, if I can grow my light in the world by embracing my darkness and sharing with you the things that I've harvested from my shadows, then that's a blessing. So there, thank you. And so it is. Awesome. Thank you for that passionate, passionate close. There's one thing though I would really like to add is we have a choice in the help that we do receive. And there are so many tools and resources available to us that it doesn't just have to be the standard idea image in our head of what that help might look like. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's plenty of options out there. And when I talk about seeking professional help that to me is i i am referring to like the western clinical psychiatric kind of help and for me personally that's like a last resort like i said if you can find that spot where you're not planning on hurting yourself but you do have the shadows that you want to work with then you still have the time and the freedom and the power to work with that on your own terms um, and that is in my opinion ideal you know finding out what works for you and choosing the help that you get uh, but when it comes to hurting yourself or somebody else I think that that last resort of clinical psychiatry um, needs to be considered. Right, and I'm just simply trying to express that we are all very blessed to live in a time and in a place when there are so many different resources available to us, but the time is truly now and you are not alone. And all of us exist on a spectrum. Our challenges exist on a spectrum and there are resources and tools and people of various backgrounds and skill sets to meet us where we are with what we most need at any given time. So to echo what Mike's saying, don't wait until it's debilitating. Um, use these, these tools and these resources from these various outlets to add to your own medicine bag, to be your own healer, to remember that you are your own healer and you know what's best for you. And to really take advantage of living in this time and in this place and rise up into your authentic self by whatever means necessary, using whatever is really resonating with you. So being stable enough and willing enough to look at, okay, what's here and what do I need? And not being afraid to seek whatever that is. Absolutely, and the sobriety that you mentioned earlier is very important. That was one of the things that I lacked when I was in that dark chapter. I didn't have that sobriety to get the help that I needed. And so I did wait too long and I waited until it became a crisis before I got help. Yeah, beautiful. Huh. I could keep talking about this all day, but this is all the time we have for now. So if you are seeking guidance on your path and you're ready to finally make 
changes you desire, ready to transmute old pain and shame into purpose, and ready to just feel sovereign and radiant and healthy and whole in your body and in your life, reach out to me and take advantage of one of the three free mini sessions I offer each week. Visit innerspark.life to learn more and schedule your discovery session today. I can't wait to speak with you. If you love the show, please be sure to subscribe to it. Please leave us a review and share the love with a friend. Deep in the conversation with me on social media at innersparklife on Instagram and Facebook and come to the Facebook group. I spend a lot of time in there, a lot of good stuff. Catch us next time. So much love to you until then.